take your Bibles. Let's look at the Bible together. It's Romans chapter 8. That's where I want to be with you, Romans chapter 8. I want to look at verses 31 down to verse 39. And so do you have a Bible? Raise your Bible up if you have a Bible. Just wave it at me. How about a Bible app? Yes, I see Bible apps. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles available to you if you would like to borrow one. And if you don't have one, you can have that one as a gift. So those are on the way in. I don't know if you saw those. And if you need a Bible, just lift up your hand and have an usher get you a Bible. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 down to verse 39. Wow, what an amazing journey it's been. And so uh, you're, you're here with us to celebrate all that God has done and is going to do. God isn't finished with us. Aren't you glad that God isn't finished with you? I mean, God was doing things in your life in the past. And you're like, yes, I want God to do things again in the present. He's not finished with us, not individually or as a, a church. And so let's worship Jesus in a big, big way. Amen. So let me begin with a question. Here's the question. What are you sure of in your life? What are you sure of in your life? So if you're like me, you're a processor, so you might take a couple of seconds and think about that question. What are you really sure of? In your life, how people know that you need to be sure that when you're on a plane at 30,000 feet that that pilot had passed his exam, right? You need to be sure that that guy, those guys up front know what they're doing. You got to be sure of some things. You got to be sure that when, when you go into the bathroom, you make sure that it's toothpaste and it's not sports cream that you're using, like I did one time. I didn't turn the lights on, and so I went into the bathroom and and I was grabbing tubes and my toothbrush, and so I start brushing my teeth, and I'm like, this isn't what it normally is. And it was, it was like Ben Gay, and I'm brushing my teeth with Ben Gay. I wasn't sure. So what is the, the moral of that story, right? Turn the lights on, make sure you know what you're doing. You've got to be sure of things. You know, in the Scripture, in the Psalms, there's a, a, a phrase that says, the steadfast love of the Lord. Over 115 times, the writer's the Psalms said that they were sure of the steadfast love of God. You know our culture isn't sure of love. Are you aware of that? Maybe you're sitting here and you're visiting here with us and you're coming from who knows where and you're saying, you know what, I'm not really sure of the love of God for me and I have been struggling with that. Our culture is struggling with the, the love of people loving one another I'm going to take you back. There's a couple of songs, and you're going to remember these if you're over 40. If you're under 40, you'd be like, no, don't remember that. Here's some of the lyrics to a song from a band called Foreigner. Anybody remember Foreigner? When I, when I quote these lyrics, you're going to have that tune just start to roll around in your head. Here's the lyrics. I got to take a little time. A little time to think things over. And I just give some advice to all those guys who are dating and probably planning on getting married. If you take a little bit too much time like I did, you might potentially risk your future wife-to-be to say, you know what, you're taking too long. Didn't I do that, babe? This is like anointed, foreigners anointed of God here. Come on. I'm only kidding there. In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. And what's the title of the song? Here's the chorus. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. How about the Partridge family? Anybody used to watch the Partridge family? How about David Cassidy leading that band? Here's some lyrics. 
I think I love you. What am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not what? Sure of. A love there is no cure for. I've had that song rolling around in my head. I can sing it for you if you want to hear it. I think I love you. Let me go back to the Bible, amen? Here's what the psalmist said, 13.5. I'm going to quote these. These are wonderful about the steadfast love of God. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Chapter 17, verse 7 says, Wondrously show your steadfast love. That's a word for somebody this morning. You're saying to God, Wondrously show your steadfast love because God, I am struggling with the fact that you might not love me like I used to sense your love. 26, verse 3, For your steadfast love is before my eyes and Chapter 33, verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. And that's our prayer today. God, that you would, by your steadfast love, show and reveal in so many, so many wonderful ways. By your Holy Spirit, God. I pray from this part of the auditorium spreading over here to my left and their right and going back into that corner back there that you would speak to people in ways that they have not been spoken to in a long way. That you would move over to this section over here, God, that you would reveal to some who've been battling with the steadfast love of God. And they're looking at you, God, and they're saying, God, I don't know if you're for me anymore. I think you're against me. I don't think you even like me anymore. Holy Spirit, we're praying that you would touch every single heart, my heart, their heart, the people in this area about the steadfast love of God. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Let me give you a couple of words for steadfast. A couple of words. There's a Greek word, stereos, stereos. I'm going to spell that, S-T-E-R-E-O-S. That would be like stereo, but with an S. And the word means, in the New Testament, solid. I need a volunteer. I need a, I need a big, big guy. Come on up here, Darren May. Come on, let's give it for Darren May. I got a volunteer. I need a big guy. We're going to illustrate the word stereos, that God's love, his steadfast love, is solid. So if you can make your way over here. Right about there is good, Darren, facing towards me. I'm going to watch you at as, as hard as you can, with as much passion as you can, with your head down, to run towards me and plant your head right into this thing right here. Okay? Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. We got mercy in the house. We got mercy. We got... <laughs> Do you want to try it with that? All right. Here we... How many people know that this is solid, right? How many people know it's more solid than his head? Stereos. Thanks, brother. God, God's love. Thank you for not letting you do that, right? Is that what you're saying? This is a word that we need to understand. In the Bible, it talks about that in Peter and 2 Timothy. That God's love is solid. It is solid towards you. It is solid towards me. I'm going to give you another illustration of that because it means many, many things in the New Testament. Steadfast can also mean that the love of God will not collapse or cave in. You see, some of you are thinking, you know what? Oh, God, circumstances of my life, the difficulties that I face, the loss, the trauma, all of that, all of that is causing your love to collapse and cave in. And I'm here to tell you that the steadfast of the love of God will not collapse. It is solid and it will not cave in. 
Amen? So I'm going to illustrate that. So up here I have the hello. This is what the, the most perfect food in the world is chocolate. Hallelujah. And so when the outside circumstances of life and when the obstacles hit our life, the pressure. Anybody under some pressure lately? Want to give a hand raise on that one? You under some pressure relationally, circumstantially, financially, maybe physically, the pressures of life? The steadfast love of God is not only solid, it will not collapse or it will not cave in. How many people want to see the Easter Bunny go away and Jesus brought back to his place of rightful worship at Easter time? Amen? And so the pressure... Maybe you feel like you're caving in. God's steadfast love will never do that. The question would be, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Paul is just an amazing man of God. I've titled this, you'll see it on the PowerPoint, the proclaim behind me, being sure of steadfast love of God. This is the title. I want you to look at verse 38, Acts chapter, or Acts, Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Got the apostle Paul, and he starts off verse 38 by saying what? What's it say? For why I'm sure. I'm in the ESV version. For I am sure. What's he sure of? He's sure of his relationship with God is secure. It's sure. It's steadfast. It is the love of God. And you'll see some of this as we go through these verses. That Paul is sure. I'm going to ask you, are you sure that God loves you? Can I just be real vulnerable with you? Has anybody struggled with the fact that God loves you? any time in your Christian life or in your life period, raise your hand that you have struggled with the love of God towards you in any way. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up nice and high. We're all going to battle with this at times. We need to be sure. Paul said that in verse 38. I am sure. Verses 31 down to 39 is going to be our text. It ends, it's a wonderful section. It ends in triumph. And so Paul's moving through the, the gospel or the uh, the book of Romans and he's laying out some amazing doctrines. I want to give you four reasons why God's love is steadfast, why it can be sure to you this morning. Uh, you might have had a little handout. If you're a note taker, you can write these in. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Four reasons why the love of God is steadfast. Let's look at them together. Number one, number one, our opposition has been overcome. Number one, our opposition has been overcome. Paul's ending this section of Scripture. He started in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the crescendo. This is the, this is the climax. He is moving through Romans about the doctrine of salvation that God has wonderfully saved us. And now he gets to the end of this section, and he doesn't want to land it quite yet. He's like that pilot that comes in for the landing. You ever been on a plane like that, and you're coming in for the landing? All of a sudden, he takes off again and circles the airport. That's Paul here. And so he's coming in for a landing in chapter 8, and he's talking about all these wonderful things. And then all of a sudden, in verse 31, he takes off again. And he's talking about this wonderful sureness of our salvation and the steadfast love of God. Look at verse 31. It starts off with saying, what then shall we say to these things? Are you with me in verse 31? Do you see it? It's not too dark out there, right? What shall we say to these things? What are the these things? Here it is. Don't try to write this down. I'm going to say it nice and slow. It's so important. It's the hope that we as believers have 
as a result of the righteousness we have as a result of our faith in Christ. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is planted inside of us. It's Christ's righteousness. That relationship with God is then restored because of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And now your relationship with God has been reconciled. And there is hope there. That's what Paul's talking about. These wonderful things from chapter 5 all the way down to verse 39 of Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am sure. And he wants his readers, the readers in Rome, to understand that there's going to be influences that are going to come against them. There's going to be opposition, as there's going to be opposition in your life about the steadfast love of God. And if you've heard a voice in your head, and you know what, if you hear voices in your head, you're not necessarily struggling with any, any mental illness. Did you know that? That the enemy can plant things into your mind? Like God isn't for you, God is against you. Three years ago, I was hearing those voices in my head. God, God's not, not for me anymore. And I said to God, I said, God, do you even like me anymore? It was awful. It was awful. Look at the text. What's it say? Verse 31. If God is for us, are you seeing that? What's it say next? Who can be against us? What's the answer to that, everybody? Oh, come on. Thanks, Don. I appreciate that. Who can be against us? No one. The question is being laid out. Who can oppose those who are in Christ? Who's the greatest opponent that Christians have? The devil. The devil's been defeated. The devil has been beaten. And Paul's going to say, if the devil has been beaten and Jesus has triumphed, then why would you think that God's love for you isn't sure? This is an important truth Paul's laying out for the Roman Christians. He wants them to be completely, completely sure of the steadfast love of God. I'm telling you, when the finances start to tank in your life, circumstantially, things are coming unglued. Relationally, there's something going on between relationships. There's a trauma in your life. The devil's going to say to you, God doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. Because if he loves you, you wouldn't be going through that. Have you ever thought that thought? I've thought that thought. God, my life is really hard right now. It really stinks. You must not love me. The enemy. Not God. God wouldn't say that to you. This was a dark time for me, and it's a dark time for some of you in the room. Listen, the opposition comes from the devil, but the devil's been defeated. But the opposition also comes from the world. Listen to 1 John 4 4. Little children, that's us, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Psalm 118, verse 6 Lord is on my side. <laughs> I love that. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear, the psalmist says, what man can do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. We face opposition from all sorts. Satan, the world, and people will come against you. They'll come against you. Another vulnerable question. You ready? Anybody ever been bullied here? Bullied. I'll raise my hand because I've been bullied when I was younger. Anybody else bullied? It's a horrible thing, right? I'll never forget Richard Jackson. 
I'll never forget Manuel Rivera, Jerome Carter. I'll never forget Linwood Chambers. All of them bullied me. All of them, Puerto Ricans. I ended up marrying a Puerto Rican. Come on now, how, can you imagine that? And she's been picking on me for 30 years. Come on. These guys bullied me. They opposed me. And you're going to get opposition from people. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. He wants to cover it all. My younger brother, Dan, I got my family here. I don't know if Dan was able to make it. Are you in the audience, Dan? My older brother, Pat's here. My dad. My mom. Dan was getting beat up by a guy named Jackie Kane. Now, I'm a little guy at that time, and so Jackie's an older kid, and he's beating up on my younger brother. So I came over to Jackie, and I was like, you can't do that. So Jackie just laid into me, and I lost that day. I want you to look at the text. Look at it. Who? It's the first who. We'll see four who's, three more after this, and we'll move through this rather quickly. Watch the answer that Paul gives in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave his greatest son, greatest gift, which is his son, how can we not doubt the sure, steadfast love of God? He did the greatest thing by giving his son. Watch out for opposers. John 3.16, you know that verse? Can we say that out loud just as best as you can, right? John 3.16, out loud, ready? God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. That's love. If you're struggling with the steadfast love of God, where do you look? The cross cross. And I pray right now by the Holy Spirit that some of you are seeing Jesus high and lifted up, that he was put there for your sin, he was taken down, put in a tomb. We're going to celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. He ascended into heaven, and then the Spirit of God came to dwell within you. You're getting a glimpse of that. And the steadfast love of God is being rekindled in your heart. Opposition. Number two, our prosecution has been pardoned. Our prosecution has been pardoned. Verse 33. Here's a second who. What's it say there? If you're looking at your Bibles. Who shall bring what? Any charge. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been charged with a crime. We don't want to get that vulnerable here. Right? But you get the idea. It's a legal term. And here Paul's laying out this legal perspective on the doctrine of salvation that we have been pardoned, but we were being prosecuted. We were being charged. What are we being charged with before Christ? Our sin. Our sin. And so you and I were on death row. And it was nothing but bad ahead of us. We were being charged. You know the devil wants to keep doing that. He wants to, he wants to charge you again and again. People want to do that. The devil wants to do that. People want to charge you. This is, the, this is a, a, another work of the enemy. He wants to say to you that you're a first-degree failure. 
Some of you failed this past week. And what I mean by that is you tripped and you fell into sin. You thought something you shouldn't have thought. You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. You're stuck in a habit and addiction and you're thinking, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a first degree failure. The enemy still wants to try to prosecute you. And listen, if you're in Christ, and again, I'm here to tell you that you've been pardoned. You've been pardoned. And I know that I failed a thousand or more times. Maybe 10,000 times. The enemy wants to say, see, they charge you. Are you really a Christian? Do you really love God? Because if you loved God, you would always obey God. Confusion enters our mind. You're not a first-degree failure. Notice the text. It says, it is God who justifies. Do you see that? Again, he's starting this whole section in Romans at chapter 5, verse 1, then goes all the way to verse 39. A wonderful section if you can read it sometime. If you go back to chapter chapter 3 with me, Paul is talking about justification. It's a theological term, and we're not going to get into it too deep, but I just want to see some verses with you. Chapter 3, verse 21. Notice 321, Paul goes on, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. <clears throat> you know what the law is? The law is meant to reveal that we can't keep the law. Did you know that? Some of you are trying to, to get to heaven by being a good person. I was that way. I was trying to be a good guy. If I could just be religious and I could be a good person, that's the law. The law is meant to show us that we can't keep the law and we need Jesus. That's what the law is for. He's talking about all of these theological terms in this section here. <clears throat> Excuse me. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ. You see that in verse 22, for all who, what? Who believe. Who believe. So the question would be, do you believe? And if you believe, then you're justified. And if you're not a believer today, and then today you bow your knee and you say, Jesus, I need you. Oh God, I need forgiveness of my sin. I need you to come into my life. Forgive me. I did that when I was 19 years old. Tears were flowing down my face. You don't necessarily have to have tears, but they were flowing down my face. And I was justified that day. I was pardoned for my sin. And some of you in the room need to be pardoned for your sin. Because you, you, don't, you haven't come to Christ. You haven't believed on him. You haven't repented of your sin and say, Jesus, I, I, this is, I've been looking all of my life for this. And here you are. He went through so much for us. Listen to Isaiah chapter 50, <clears throat> verse 8 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. It's like an old, worn-out garment. I remember I was driving through a town in uh, Massachusetts. It's a small little town called Princeton. It was late one night. Lisa's sitting to my right as passenger, and I'm driving and wanting to go home. I was with my in-laws, who are here today, too. Came all the way down from Massachusetts to celebrate with us. And so we're going home, and I'm going through Princeton, and I just happened to look down at my, what is it, uh, speedometer, right? And, and I'm looking down. I just happened to look at that, and all of a sudden, these lights behind me go on. I'm like, oh, no, you know, I'm being pulled over. 
about 11 o'clock or so at night. Police officer comes up to my window. He says, you're doing 58 miles an hour. I said, no, sir, I was doing 32 miles an hour. He's like, oh, <clears throat> and he's kind of you know, coughing a little bit. And he goes, well, just be careful next time. If I had not looked down. See, he wanted to charge me. wasn't guilty. I hadn't broken the law. But let me just tell you something. Before 19, I had broken God's law so many times. And I was being charged rightfully so. But on that day, you remember this day for you, right? You remember that day you became a Christian. That day you were pardoned. And if the devil comes at you to charge you again, you say, no, sir. Our condemnation <clears throat> has been covered. Look at verse 34. Our condemnation has been covered. Here's another who. Paul lays it out. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? That word means disapprove. It means to blame. It means to criticize. It can also mean to revile. It's used of, about Jesus in Mark chapter 15, 32. They reviled him. It's used about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 12. First verse of this very chapter in 8, 1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Paul Jablisco, where are you, brother? Paul Jablisco, we were at men's group on Thursday, and he's quoting that. I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's right there. It's Acts in Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. So if you're not in Christ, condemnation, yes or no? Yes. That's why you need Jesus today. That's why you need Jesus. But if you're in Christ, it says in 8 chapter verse 1, there is no condemnation anymore because your sins have been covered. It's wonderful. Go over to that verse. Verse 1 of the same chapter, Romans 8. I want to look at verse 2, 2 and 3 with you. Romans 8. Notice there's no condemnation to those in Christ. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. In other words, nobody's saved by the law. Nobody's saved by being a good person. By sending his own son, it says there in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul said this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are what? Do you know what it says? Covered. Covered. Don't leave this theater. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his blood hasn't covered your sin. It'll be a wonderful day if that happens. The best of days, right? The best of days. Well, Paul's talking about some amazing things here. And so if there is <clears throat> this condemnation, the enemy again will try to bring it. Disapproval, criticize, revile. Jesus faced it, you're going to face it as a Christ follower. You've got to know something about what Jesus is doing because the Bible says in our text, in our section, he is interceding for us right now. 
He's interceding. It's a great word. It can also mean he comes between. There's an intervention, maybe an interception, if you want to use a football analogy. This is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's up in heaven now, the right hand of the Father. And when the enemy or other people want to come against you, opposition, yes, prosecution, trying to charge you, and trying to bring this condemnation, then Jesus is right there. And he's interceding for us, for the believer, for the believer. And he's saying to the enemy, no, oh, they're covered. My sin, my blood has covered their sin. Steadfast love of God. There's one more. Look at your Bible. Verses 35 down to verse 39. Our separation has been secured. Our separation has been secured. Verse 35. Here's another who. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And again, everybody, as loud as you can. Anybody? Who? Who was that back there that said that? I love that. Have you ever been separated from someone that you love? Anybody going through that? Maybe your child is in the military and the station long distance. or Maybe you've been separated from somebody that you love because of a loss, a death in the family. You know how painful that is? Being separated from people that you love. I remember being separated from my then girlfriend, Lisa. And so we were at Liberty University 30 years ago. So back then, I started to get some feelings for her. And we were friends at first. And so all of a sudden, I, I, I noticed my palms were getting a little bit sweaty and, and things like that. And so I was like, I get feelings for this girl. Then I took a theology modular, and I was separated from her. She went back home to Massachusetts. I stayed in Lynchburg for a week. And I just remember feeling this something inside. I don't like being separated Fast forward about uh, 25 years later, we tried adopting three girls. Didn't work out. And I tell you, the heart-wrenching pain of separation from those sweet little girls. To this day, didn't work out. You know the pain of separation? Who, Paul says, he's laying it out. He's laying it out again for one final crescendo about the steadfast love of God, the sure, steadfast relationship that we have with him. I want to read the rest of the verses with you, and we'll bring it to a close. Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Wow. Are you sure this morning? Are you sure of the steadfast love that God has for you? There is no separation. For some of you, and I'm going to close with just one more illustration, I just want to appeal to you, to those who don't know Jesus Christ. You've been invited. 
you've been brought by a friend, a relative. And this whole Christian thing, you're just not real sure about it. I need another big, big guy. Kelly, you want to help me? Come on up here, Kelly. These guys have been awesome today. These are some of the biggest guys around Harvest. And so if you mess with me, you have to go through them. Watch yourself. Here, I want you to grab a hold of that. Two hands, kind of like this, you know. I want to illustrate something to you. Because a lot of people, Kelly, there's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, that you're trying to get to heaven because you're spiritual. You're trying to get to heaven because you're religious. You're trying to get to heaven because you've been a good person. Try to break that, Kelly, just in two pieces, man. Just go for it. Just Oh, pretty easy. Pretty easy. <laughs> Kelly is representing a person maybe in this room. You know, I got it together. I can handle this. I don't need Jesus. You know, when I get to heaven, it's going to be about my goodness, my spirituality, my religion, going to church, maybe even reading my Bible. But you don't know Christ. And, and has Kelly pulled that apart? You're just so confident in your own strength. All right, Kelly. Try this. best you can brother as best you can go ahead don't blow blood vessel you think he's going to be able to do that that's an impossibility for kelly to do that and listen thanks brother it's an impossibility because you know what We're, if you're not a christian if you're chained this is what's holding you this is what's keeping you from real peace real joy real reconciliation your sin and you're trying hard you're trying hard to break that, and you're never, ever going to be able to break that. For the Christian, and there's something that's been keeping you bound, some kind of an addiction, some kind of a stronghold, or whatever it may be, you're trying to do the same thing. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen in your own strength. If you're going to try to be like Kelly, pulling apart that ribbon, it's never going to happen for you. You need Jesus. You need Christ because Christ can take this thing and he can rip it apart with no problem for you. But you need to repent. Those who don't know Jesus, can I just ask you? Today would be that day for you to be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. How about Christians? Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you just feel, God, your steadfast love, I just don't have a grip on that anymore. I really want to have that sure. Can I ask you to bow your heads? We're going to have some prayer together. Please bow your head. And just, we're going to have some prayer together. Can I ask you a question? For those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're like, you know what, Chris? I really need that forgiveness. I need that relationship with God restored. And I want to come to God confessing my sin and accepting his son, Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand? I want to make that decision for the first time. Is there anybody in the room? Raise your hand nice and high. Let me see it. We're not going to embarrass you. Today is the day you want to pray this prayer. Is there anybody in the room? Nice and high. Amen. See that. Anybody else? Today is the day of salvation for you. You want to become a Christian. Anybody else? How about, you know what? I am a Christian. 
I have been wandering, and I have been just trying to find my way for all these many weeks, months, and years, and I want to come back into a fresh relationship with the Lord that's thriving and it's alive. And I need some prayer. Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Lift it up. Is that you? Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to ask you to come down here like Kelly and Darren. It's not going to happen this time. Let's pray together.